Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9 Hi FM. I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kievman. And today we're going to talk a little bit, some insights we could glean from this week's Parsha, some ideas that we could implement and apply in our lives. As of course, the very word Torah means Hara'ah, which is instruction. The Torah is our instruction manual for life. And from the Torah, we can learn the most powerful lessons on how to live the most meaningful and purposeful life that we can. So, my friends, have you been told no in response to anything that you perhaps have asked? You know, oftentimes kids think that their second name is don't. <laughs> don't do this and don't do that. People often complain about being told what they cannot do. All the prohibitions and restrictions. And you wonder, you know, will the rabbi ever tell us what we can do? Now, the truth is that there's some truth to that. Because in Torah, there are many more mitzvahs which say what we cannot do. Right? There's shasa mitzvahs losasa, 365 prohibitions, negative commandments, which is a lot more than the number of those mitzvahs, commandments, which tell us what we need to do, which is Ramach, 248 positive commandments versus 365 negative commandments. And not only that, but some of the positive commandments are able to be kept only by certain individuals. Some are only for kings, some are only for priests, for kohanim, some are only applied to men, others only to women. Some specifically for children, some are agriculturally related. If you live in the land of Israel, this year is the year of Shemitah, the sabbatical year. It's only relevant there. And so many more mitzvahs only relevant in the temple. Means that there are significantly less number of mitzvahs that we could practically perform today. Whereas the negative commandments, those are the same for everyone. There's still 365 of them. That doesn't change. That number of mitzvahs is always the same. 365 don'ts. Now, the thing is, let me tell you a secret. The Talmud points out that in many cases, when the Torah forbids something, the same act is often allowed in other circumstances, under a different situation, under other conditions. And in our Parsha, this week we read a portion of Mishpatim. We read about the laws, for example, the laws of theft. The Torah says, if a person steals an ox or a lamb and slaughters it or sells it, then they have to repay five oxen for the ox or four sheep for the lamb. Now, this is not the first time that theft is mentioned in the Torah. You might recall, last week we read the Ten Commandments. And remember, one of the big ten says, thou shall not steal. And Rashi, the foremost commentator of Torah there, says that this means not only not to take what's not yours, but not to kidnap. There's different forms of theft. Kidnapping is such a serious crime in the eyes of the Torah that if the hostage is found with a kidnapper, the penalty is death. And you might recall last week where there was a hostage situation at a synagogue in Texas and ultimately the terrorist, the hostage taker, the kidnapper, was executed. Now, you might say it would have been better to have him alive and get information who sent him there. 
Those are all calculations I'm sure the FBI considered, but there was nothing wrong with the fact that he was killed that day because that, in fact, would be the Torah's punishment for somebody who kidnaps. And we find the Torah gives us multiple types of theft, of stealing. There's kidnapping, as we discussed. There's also taking what's not yours, a person who steals, who shoplifts, who takes money or goods that isn't theirs. And there's another category called Genevas Das, which is deception. Now, these categories are all in the, the same term in Torah. They're all different types of Geneva, of theft, of stealing. Theft through deception, Genevas Das. Rambam talks about this and mentions in Mishnah Torah. It says we're not allowed to deceive anyone. Nobody's a, you can't deceive any person, regardless of their status, whether they're elderly and senile, whether they are Jew or Gentile, a child, doesn't matter. If, say, I'm going to use an example, a Gentile comes into a kosher establishment and wants to buy kosher meat. You can't make a calculation in your mind and say, well, he doesn't have to keep kosher. He's not Jewish. So I don't have to serve. I could serve him non-kosher meat as kosher. You know, kosher costs that much more. Let me keep kosher just for the Jews. You could be straight up with them and tell them that you have limited stock and, you know, ask them if that's what they need, if they want to pay the premium. And if they do, you cannot discriminate against anybody. And certainly the Torah is telling us, Rambam uses this example, that you cannot deceive them and give them, sell them non-kosher meat, even for cheaper. So you're not technically uh, over, you're not even overcharging them, you're not charging them for non-kosher as kosher. You cannot deceive them and tell them something is that's not kosher is kosher. Another example is if you invite somebody to eat in your home, but you don't really mean it. You know very well that this person is not going to come to eat in your house because maybe they have strict, severe dietary restrictions, whether it's health matters or kashrut or they're vegan. So the invitation is just pretend it's just for show to look good. So again, this falls into the same category of theft, it's deception, genevas das, deceiving another person. And it is forbidden. But very interestingly enough, there are certain cases where these three types of stealing are actually permitted according to Jewish law. The Zohar, the fundamental work of Jewish mysticism, the foundational work of of the inner secrets of the Torah, tells us a very interesting thing about the trup, the melodic notations of the words... In the Ten Commandments, you should not steal. What does the Torah say? That's the, if I do that in English, it's so to say, don't steal. Now, when these words are read, notice how I'm pausing between do not and the word steal. So the Zohar says that this means that although most cases, obviously, once forbidden to steal, it is never permitted, or I shouldn't say never, there are some cases where it is considered okay. What sort of stealing might be fine? Sometimes it's all right even to kidnap somebody. 
people often accuse Lubavitchers of stealing people from the secular world and bringing them into the world of Judaism. Now everybody's heard somebody who's made this type of claim sometime, someplace. Be careful if you go to Chabad, they're going to brainwash you. They're going to force you to go to Shul. They're going to make you keep kosher. They're going to coerce you into Shabbos. Now the truth is this type of stealing is kosher. Especially since we're really not stealing at all. We are only returning what belongs to its right place. Every Jew belongs within the Jewish faith. And since some were unfortunately stolen away from their heritage, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein referred to this as the Tinak Shanishba, a child who was taken captive. This type of kidnapping is actually even considered a mitzvah. You know, this week, South African Jewry celebrates 50 years, a jubilee of the presence of Rabbi Lipsker and Rebetz and Mashi Lipsker, who are the Rebbe's shluchim. And although there was a Chabad presence in South Africa for over a century, but they were the first ones to officially launch the Chabad house here, the outreach campaigns of Chabad. So of course, yes, there was a Chabad presence in this country for well over a century. And there was a Hasidim shul in Cape Town, as well as in Johannesburg, so there was obvious presence and Chabadniks who were here. In fact, many Jews, South African, Lithuanian Jews, who probably tell you that they are Litvaks, will also tell you they come from Rakashik. Rakashik was a city, a community filled with Hasidic Jews. And not only Rakashik, many Lithuanian towns and communities had very prominent uh, Hasidic communities there as well. And so, just because one is a Litvak doesn't mean they're Hasidically challenged. And so it was 50 years ago when Rabbi Mendel and Rabbi Talipsker arrived in South Africa from the United States and they filled the purpose of Chabad Shluchim, of opening the, Chab- the very first Chabad house and bringing that joy, the warmth, the enthusiasm, the excitement, the, the passion, the hope of Yiddishkeit, that inspiration that they brought here. And today there are so many Chabad houses and so many Chabad Shluchim and representatives of the Rebbe in this country that Yiddishkeit is flourishing here. Granted, there are other wonderful organizations too, but Chabad was in the forefront all these years of bringing that outreach to the South African Jewish community. And so, my friends, if somebody accuses one going to Chabad of kidnapping, of brainwashing, maybe there is a form of brainwashing, but it is returning a Jew to their heritage, that's not theft. That is returning a lost object to where it belongs. Now, of course, when we talk about theft, theft of money could also be kosher in certain cases. Now, don't take this out of context, what I'm saying. But take the example of a person, you know, in the Gemara, it talks about the idea of a woman giving charity. In ancient times, usually women, unlike today, did not work. And their their assets all were together with their husbands. So there's a discussion in Jewish law that says if a woman donates a small amount of money to a shul, then it's okay to accept it. If it's a large amount, the Rambam says that her husband has to agree, has to consent to that arrangement. Now, how do we how do we decide what's a lot of money, what's a little bit of money? That depends on the income of the family. But, of course, this sounds strange and foreign to today's ears. 
because today, what do you mean? There's equality between husband and wife. And in fact, I could tell you many families, it's the woman who brings in more money than her husband. And in a healthy relationship, they should both have that equal decision-making into deciding where their money goes and which charities they give. But in ancient times, when this law was relevant, this wasn't something that is taken as for granted as today. So let's just understand the context and where this law is. In our days, when women, you know, does women have uh, autonomy and equality, and so you could do exactly what you want and, and beyond what your husband gives, you give to whichever causes you like. It's not, it's not considered uh, a theft in any way, but it is, there is such a law. And in that law, it's saying that ultimately, yes, today a husband certainly will have no doubt to be proud of his wife, of what she does in a good, healthy relationship. But to understand from the Talmudic era, this was a matter that was discussed if it's considered theft when she gave of her husband's money to charity without his consent. But of course, that's just a little digression. But now we return to the third type of stealing, which we discussed, Genevas Das, deception. And this too could be found in a very positive note. The Zohar says that it actually is permitted to steal a thought from a rabbi's sermon or from your favorite soul-to-soul show right here on Chai FM. Repeat it even as your own. You could plagiarize a Dvar Torah because nobody owns the Torah. It's God's wisdom for each and every single one of us. There's a story famously told about the Alter Rebbe, founder of Chabad, that some of us Hasidim were doing things which seemed a little strange to some others. And so someone to complain to the Alter Rebbe that these fellows are sitting and praying for many hours on end, they're doing all sorts of other outlandish stuff, and when they complain to the Alter Rebbe about these individuals, that they're pretending to be holy, but deep down, they're probably not so righteous. The Alter Rebbe listened very attentively. He heard their complaints. And then he gave a bracha to those Hasidim. He said that they should not die until they became what they were pretending to be. Personally, when I was offered the other day, the waiter asked me, what type of Coke I want, regular or diet. I said, no, I don't want to die yet. So we don't want to die until we fulfill those pretend, so to say. And I think it's an important lesson that we could all take from this idea in our Parsha. The people were complaining to the Alter Rebbe that these Hasidim were just pretending to be holy. But deep down, they weren't necessarily as righteous as they professed to be. And that's the bracha he gave them. That, okay, you'll do what you gotta do. Fake it till you make it. Now, let me ask you, my friends. Doesn't this happen in real life? Have you ever tried to take on a new mitzvah? Suddenly everyone has something to say. Oh, you've suddenly become such a holy person. You're a fake. You're deceiving people. Well, this type of deception is not only allowed, but it's even desirable. 
My friends, I encourage you, if you're deceiving others in this way, where perhaps you're pretending to be holier than you actually are, well, you have my endorsement, you have my blessing, you have my encouragement to fake it till you make it.